Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh! pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a quiz of course on wrestle culture as i said though joined by the dadly boys to review aew dynamite a really enjoyable show in parts and he can't bloody help himself sometimes with that ending to the show can he sitch yeah absolutely i'll get there at the end chronological order and all that <laughs> i'll level with you I thought this Dynamite was very good without being truly a great episode of Dynamite, and I don't know if that was as a result of my subjective mood. Earlier this week, Adam Wilborn, I was promised a new David Lynch film to be screened at the Cannes Festival next month. It's one thing. So um, it's, it's hardly prolific, mm, David Lynch. No. And his work is so is, is such that he never really gets funding very readily. So I'm thinking it's one thing to say, oh, David Lynch is working on a new project and you might get it in two or three years. Amazing. Are you going to get it next month? So up a height earlier this week. And then, oh, no, there's a little bollocks. Some people appear to have made it up. <laughs> and it's like, it's the fa- it's so cruel because David Lynch's films are so open to interpretation that as a byproduct of that, literally everything he says or any report must be open to interpretation as well. That's the kind of audience mm-hmm. that he sort of fosters. So everyone's like... Everyone in the sort of the, the Lynch verse nerddom was genuinely sort of pouring over every clue. I spent most of my week just on various forums, and and it didn't happen. So I was in a bit of a mood, mm. and I thought this was very good, not great, but that very good, still very good. Yeah, I remember once I said, "Oh, it was very good, dynamite, not great." So I was like, "Ah, maybe we need to take a break, bro." <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I thought it was very good. I think I'm the low guy in this episode, and that's not just based on Sidge's remarks, but I went on Twitter afterwards, kind of assuming, you know, like, there's not many bad dynamites, but you know when you feel like you've watched a, a bad one? I remember that week when we all took a lot of grief online, for suggesting <laughs> the one was rubbish. I kind of felt like I was going to go on Twitter and see a lot of that for more than just the ending. Yeah, the ending got pelters, so we'll, we will get to that. But I, I immediately thought, oh, hang on, I'm the low guy. People are framing this as a bad ending ruins a great dynamite and all that, and I saw a lot of that, so mm. I know I'm in the minority. I... 
and I'm not saying this with any kind of worry or concern for the quality of Double or Nothing, for example, because this in itself was seeing AEW's cycles post. I was post pandemic. I would say that I don't mean to post crowds returning. Yes, was seeing AEW cycles return to as they were before, which is the the little um, the little awesome tricks that Tony Khan as a booker plays, where just when you're not sure what the paper is going to come together, one week everything does in such a way that you absolutely cannot wait for the show. But we're also seeing, I think, a bit of a valley sometimes where the most of the programs are starting to feel a little bit worn out mm-hmm. and a little bit old hat. And I found myself over the course of this episode a lot having the same feeling of, I'm not really asked what you're up to, wrestler A, nor nor you, wrestler B, nor wrestler C. I'm not bothered with this story anymore. There was a lot of stuff feeling like either past its sell-by date or really just not that exciting to begin with. We find ourselves again at the sort of the precipice of a battle of the belts that feels more like an oh inconvenience than a thing that we were once sold would be this quite special occasion event. Um, but again, because these are cycles, I don't say this with too much pessimism because I know immediately they're kind of steering into something really cool and awesome that I didn't know I wanted until they've shown me it. You're about a month and a half away from double or nothing. Yeah, that's a perfect amount of time to start finding things that all of a sudden everybody really wants to watch. And again, this is partially subjective because lots of people seem to enjoy this. Uh, objectively, I would dare say the crowd proved me wrong because it was quite a hot crowd. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot on this show that felt more of a slog than I like from a Dynamite. This was a good variety show, but I'm not even sure I found this to be a good Dynamite. It's it's quite, yeah, it's quite interesting. I came into the office today very much ready to be like, well, I thought that was a really, really good dynamite, and then they fumbled the ball at the one-yard line, basically. Like, you end the show two minutes before you did actually end the show, and I thought it was going to be going down as an all-time. And then which, yeah, sorry, like you look, sorry, which, by the way, like, promoting the overrun for that in particular now feels really lame. You yeah. know, like, this feels more like thumb on the head from the network stuff, but we never give, you know... SmackDown makes billions of dollars, but it doesn't mean that we praise SmackDown for being any good when it's rubbish. So this is the same, isn't it? You know, like, he's promoted an overrun. He's done this big thing for reasons maybe beyond pro wrestling. doesn't mean we have to like it as wrestling fans just because it might represent good business. Yeah, and I saw some people saying, and I think this is maybe a little bit more WWE fans deliberately, you know, taking things the wrong way to counteract people going, well, the Raw after WrestleMania had Ezekiel and Veer, uh, but some people are saying, oh, when you do lights off, lights on again, people are expecting Cesaro, for example. It's like, well, they didn't tease or promise anything. They, they at least put there's some breadcrumbs out there. a tacit implicit tease when you turn the lights off. Yeah. Especially at the moment. Like, he's just... Is it the, he's the just light? purchased Ring of Honor. Like, he, and, and with his purchase of Ring of Honor, his debut Samoa Joe's, the absolutely stick around to the bitter end for Samoa Joe's tease. We're in, like, this is quite a hot space for teases of people. It's Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt in the ring doing a Ring of Honor story with Samoa Joe. Like, maybe not Cesaro, but there was certainly, we're in this current space where it would have been okay to expect a familiar face yes. or a returning star or something. Like, even a Jonathan Gresham coming to make the save to pay Samoa Joe back or something like that because he's never appeared on AEW before. There's loads of permutations that are lights on, lights off currently, as we speak, suggests beyond your generic surprise. So to get it, I'd like, as Cedric pointed out, not me, this is his on Twitter, but to make the mistake that you were pilloried for making so many times in the past, two years later, is, is an odd mm. choice. Uh, odd choice for a way to do it. Well, we'll get to it in due course. Let's start at the beginning of the show, which started immediately, no offence, with a little bit of disappointment from me, purely because of something I made up in my, my own head. Pong comes out, obviously, huge bad, great reaction. And then Penta's music hits, and I was like, oh, bloody hell, there's Alex. I, 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 I feel bad saying that, but the rumours went in, people were like, well, he's not on the, he's not on the, the what, match 
logo thing. Graphic. Yeah, the he graphic. was actually on the graphic. Was he? Oh, okay. Did they did they make a, like an update? I think because they always have the finger on the pulse. That went around, so they were like. Update the graphic, put him on oh, it. Oh, I didn't like, see that. Measure, okay. measure people's expectations because they'd seen a few tweets saying maybe he's not part of it tonight. But I really enjoyed this match almost because of the, if you want to call it a botch, it was a slip, basically. It wasn't like a move was done incorrectly. He just slipped in the midst of doing something. And it, it's not only did it, did they, the two you know geniuses work it into the story of the match, but it's kind of the thing that you guys have been talking about for a while that old man punk is kind of, Part of the reason why we really like him now. He's not CM Punk from 10 years ago or whatever. He is sort of like a bit of grey, bit of like, oh, bloody hell, sometimes. And yet, he's building up this record. He's signaling he wants to fight for the world title. He probably is going to be fighting for the world title, if we're honest, at double or nothing. Anyway, let's get into the match, and I'll get your thoughts on it. Uh, immediately get in each other's face, and they just start chopping and striking each other. That was a sign of things to come later on in this show. Uh, Penta here, thrust kick. Punk fights back, takes him down. There's some sling blades. Punk dodges a baseball slide and hits a dive to take us to a break. When we come back, this is the injury. Uh, Punk goes for a top rope Frankensteiner, but slips as he does it. Sort of still manages to sort of execute it, I suppose, but immediately sells his knee. And I think all of us, I've never been more like, don't throw up the X. You know, I don't know if they do that in AEW or not. I don't know if that's just a WWE thing, but immediately when he, the ref went to Penta and was like, give him a minute. I was like, no, not now. Not when we're in, when we're in this perfect pocket ahead of double or nothing. Um <laughs> So Penta obviously targets the knee because these are two greats who, who can adapt to the scenario that they're in. They haven't just rehearsed a match. Um, Punk blocks a strike, though, and hits a sort of super hurricane runner off the top rope. Uh, hits the corning, uh, the rising knee in the corner, uh, but he can't. He's just hobbling around trying to hit the GTS, which isn't ideal as well because that yeah utilizes his knee too. Uh, Penta goes to snap Punk's arm, but... Punk reverses it and tries to get him in the Anaconda device. I bought that as a finish. I thought they were just going to be like, right, well, we clearly can't do the GCS because I can't really walk, so I'm just going to try and, like, choke you out here or something. Anyway, Penta gets to the ropes. They fight in the apron. There's a tease of a fear factor. Uh, there's a high kick springboard clothesline. Uh, the rising knee and the short arm clothesline from Punk follows that. He calls for the GTS. Penta blocks it, though. Goes for a fear factor. Punk escapes. Uh, gets hit with an enziguri. They trade cradles. Penta hits a thrust kick, goes for a springboard off the middle rope, and gets brilliantly caught by Punk. GTS, one, two, three. I thought this was very, very good. Without being a great TV mm -hmm. match, and I think we've seen such a volume of them, particularly last week, that maybe I would consider it great if I hadn't had last week happen to me because it was yes. just so absolutely incredible. But very, very good nonetheless. Like, CM Punk's got incredible instincts. This is going to sound like a very simp take, from someone who gets accused of being a shale and reaching and all the rest of it. CM Punk's literally better than perfect. Because <laughs> when you do perfect things, like one of my favorite elements of a pro wrestling match, and Nick Jackson's great at this, is incorporating a botch, accident, like not an uh, actual botch, but a deliberate botch is a strategic error in matches, and it just makes it feel like a fight. Not every punch lands in a boxing fight. Not every hold gets neatly applied in a UFC match. Yeah. Like, not every like, thing gets volleyed into the net. It just creates a sense of realism. And when, as you said, your instincts are as great as um, CM Punk's, just the way that um, after selling it and realizing, yep, I can still go, thank God, um, he instructs, calls a spot with Penta, where he says, all right, fire me into the turnbuckle. And he goes to walk, but he stumbles. And it's like, because he can't. 
and it just makes mm-hmm. it actual. It's, re- it's reaching through the screen stuff to pick him up, and it? yeah. it's so good. And right. It's like he's trying to get sympathy at the same time. He's incorporating something that felt like it obviously shouldn't have happened in the match, made it feel like a part of the match. Completely immersive, great instincts. CM Punk over the limit, 2010, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, gets busted open and it was 2010 PG era WWE so they had to stop it and he's, you can see the guys despondent at the idea that just when they had the crowd just the Punk Mysterio matches were great mid-card fair at the time and he's like oh, the whole rhythm and the flow and the peak of this match is gone so the second he gets stitched up he just kind of whispers uh, presumably sorry to Rey Mysterio <laughs> and then beats him up so quickly and so violently that the crowd just instantly get back yeah. into it. Like, Punk is literally better than perfect because when he when a match threatens to fall apart, he actually thrives. Um, away from that moment, which is the thing that most people are going to talk about, I thought the work here was genuinely rather excellent. What I liked about it is that, did we ever see the package pile driver in the end? No. no. We didn't get the destroyer, didn't get any, like, major penta bombs because CM Punk's brilliant strategy in defensive counter-wrestling kept denying those bombs, but even though he didn't get them, the threat in the counter in the back and forth exhilaration was a more refined version of a penta match, which sometimes can be incredibly shallow. No wrestling match ever looks realistic. There's about 2% of all wrestling matches, if that, that ever feel realistic. But penta takes the pace. <laughs> it's thrilling, but he often takes the pace. This was CM Punk saying, no, you're not taking the piss with me, but you'd still got the rhythm and the excitement and the pace of a penta match. This was the very best version of a Styles Clash that I thought might suffer Mm -hmm. without being a blow-away great TV match. Yeah, CM Punk made me cheer for seeing less than more in this match. That spot when they were dueling on the apron and then Punk hits the high kick to kick him back into the ring. I'm like, yeah, nothing on the apron. (laughs) One nil to old people. I was like, yes, I felt something. Um, They, like, when they faced off at the start of the match, so when that graphic dropped the other night, before I had time to think about the potential problems of this style clash, I was just too excited about the visual of them coming face to face. That was realized in the opening seconds of the match when they were doing the dueling chants and taunts. So CM Punk, did you see him trying to do his own version of the Sierra Meadow with a C and an M? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah. Penta was doing the hand thing constantly. They were going, Sierra Meadow, CM Punk. And so he got in on it and they hadn't yet touched. And it captured that, um, was it Omega and Danielson that had got a holy chance. Yeah. And Cena and AJ back at Money in the Bank got a this is awesome before they did. Like those moments when you just think, never thought this was possible. This is quite incredible. So when that happened, I thought, yeah, people are so bang game for the idea of this that they're going to forgive any potential sloppiness or any potential weird moments between the two. In the end, if you can even call it sloppy, that became the match. That became getting to watch like a master of his craft there. He, it, the selling was amazing. But CM, how I imagine CM Punk to have visualised how the next five minutes of that match might now suddenly go to make it feel all the more real. As you say, the anxiety around watching for the referee thrown up the X, mm. it was Penta trying to shove away the ref and then the ref shoving him back quite angrily. Even that felt cold between the three of them. You're just watching them thinking, right, one of them has clocked. How can we make this look as real as possible to make the dorks who do podcasts feel nervous as well as the people that just watch this casually or with kind of one eye on the screen or that kind of thing. I I love this so much more than for what was actually taking place in the mm. match, more than how I read the wrestlers were adapting to the situation. The apron stuff was great. The teases of the pile drivers were better than the deliveries of them. Um, 
CM Punk probably needs to be AEW World Champion because he's probably the best in the world, and that's what that belt denotes. And yes. That's a nice feeling as well. It's it's not just, as it never would have been. I, I trust CM Punk to have only felt like he wanted to be back in contention when he knew he could carry it, and I think all that realism carries over. The guy holding the belt should be the one that feels like he's the best at this. CM Punk has absolutely ascended to it, and we kind of get evidence of this most weeks. Love this. Uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society were seen arriving in their private jet and, uh, yeah, out steps Garcia and Hager and Jericho, of course. Uh, and as they walk down the steps, <laughs> Eddie Kingston's leaning out like a dog. It, it, was, it was like a dog when you see him in the car. Just, hey, you guys. And just yells on site. And then we reveal uh, that Daddy Magic's been laid out and Cool Man Hanger's had his shoes nicked. It's LTST, this isn't it? Eddie Kingston steals shoes. Yeah. He, he nicks expensive shoes, and I like that about him. What I liked about this was that it was very wacky, but in a way that was still realistic in its yeah. own context. Like, Chris Jericho obviously had this idea because he addressed and looked directly into the camera. If he hadn't have done that, I would hate this because why would there be a camera crew there? He's obviously in his sports entertainment, sports entertainer mind thought of the big video package and all like the hubris around this and Eddie Kingston somehow has worked out where he is and silly but at least he looked at the camera and it was entertaining as well yeah he's um he's a Beatles guy isn't he and it made me think of him wanting to have his Beatles moment where like the band are getting off the plane and there's cameras there to greet yeah that's Christian these are my guys we're getting off a plane I could also imagine because a mate of mine during uh during the first lockdown got me into flight radar the app where you could just like look and see oh that flight that this got me wasn't that many flights at the time, but subsequently, oh, that flight that's flying over my house now, that's what it is. That's where it's come from. That's where it's going to. Like nerd boring stuff, but if you're into it, and I kind of got a little bit into it, if I'm honest, but I can very much imagine like the flight signature being like the JAS like 69 or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can work out well who that flight is, and I can know where it's going. So in my head, I'm like, yeah, that makes complete sense. That like Kingston and his boys would be waiting at the airport. Wilborn turned up to get some eight by ten sign to sell an eBay. <laughs> He's in flight tracker. Too late to go and get a real job, in the words of CM Punk. Uh, right, then we got the World Tag Team titles on the line. It was Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, of course, uh, against Red Dragon. Um, very eventful, this. Uh, you got Jungle Boy and Bobby Fish starting things off, and then Luchasaurus and uh, Kyle O'Reilly come in and, again, do, do similar you know, back and forth between the two of them. Uh, they're targeting Luchasaurus's legs, two dragon screws, one over the ropes to take Red Dragon, uh, to allow to, Red Dragon to take control. Uh, O'Reilly just... Runs into Luchasaurus, runs into Luchasaurus and his knee, and that allows him to get into the corner to get Jungle Boy for a tag. He comes in, uh, rebound Lariat, several suicide dives. Red Dragon see the third one coming, so they get out of the way and walk straight into a Luchasaurus apron moonsault. And Jungle Boy then dives through to take out Bobby Fish. Uh, Red Dragon gain control again, though, with another. The Dragon Screw looks like it's the most painful thing to take. I always think, oh, God, well, if I took that the wrong way. You should I'd... watch way more Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, it always looks like something that I'm like, well, I'd never walk again if someone hit that with me. Uh, that's what they do when Jungle Boy's coming back into the into the ring, and that allows Red Dragon to take control as we go to a break. When we come back, Luchasaurus gets the hot tag, strikes, corner splashes, double choke slam, and that standing moonsault of his for a near fall. Uh, Jungle Boy comes in, but then Fish gets a blind tag, and uh, Red Dragon hit a DDT into a German suplex for a two count. O'Reilly, and at the moment he kicks out, O'Reilly just leaps up, puts him into a cross arm breaker, but Jungle Boy manages to make it to the ropes. You've got uh, Jungle Boy and uh, Kyle O'Reilly fighting on the top rope as Luchasaurus wants the Doomsday device, but O'Reilly turns it into a guillotine, and Fish, is that the point where he leaps over and hits this mad sort of avalanche falcon arrow, and Luchasaurus has to chuck him into the, the pinfall to break it all up? Um, 
so, a, a parade of, of big moves comes next, and then Luchasaurus hits the tail whip on Fish, and they hit the, the Thoracic Express for the victory to re- regain, no, retain the tag team titles. Uh, post-match, O'Reilly attacks the champs with a chair, and who should come out to face it out? Not only Red Dragon, but also the tag team champions, but Michael Sidgwick, the best tag team in the world, FTR. Uh, the Young Bucks are still the best. Huh? There you go. <laughs> but still. Yes. But still. This was weird because I thought it was a really, 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 really good match with lots of really, really cool sequences that created drama within the body of the match itself. The second I saw that was going on second, I just thought the, let the air was out of the balloon a little bit because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, they're not going to do a switch on the second match. If this had went on the main event slot, and it should have, realistically, given the way the show was arranged... <laughs> in the abiding memory of how it sort of undermined the rest of the show itself. I just thought, oh, right, it's not a switch. I was very much prepared to accept a switch. I thought they were actually going to bother trying with Battle of the Belts this year. That's dead as a concept, which we'll get into in another podcast that's going to drop into your feeds later on today. Um, but yeah, there's like loads of cool moments. But as very good as it was at its very best, there were still moments where it didn't feel like they were clicking. Mm-hmm. Weird positional um, errors. Even the finish looked like he got powerbombed onto his arm, just a little bit off mm, in a way fair. that I can't really articulate, just like a wavelength or a chemistry issue or whatever. Um, and yeah, the, just the sequencing of the show was hurt by this being out of position compared to the main event. I hadn't considered the impact of the sequencing on my enjoyment of this, or indeed the crowd's enjoyment of it as they were maybe coming down from pretty hot opener, or certainly something with the star of CM Punk's level. But there were people it. who go four and a quarter stars on this, and yeah, I wouldn't I th- blame them, but I just did not feel it. No, I get it. I feel like if, again, very subjective, I feel like anyone that rates this very highly have been fooled, and understandably so, by some like really spectacular flourishes. They weren't just good flourishes in this, they were spectacular. You isolated probably my favourite of the match, which was... Um, Cap, like Jungle Boy just escaping then being captured immediately by Kyle O'Reilly. I, I loved that bit. A couple of high spots were particularly cool, but like so much of this was just a match. Uh, like so much of this was just a match, but then the flourishes were so hot that I think they like they almost elevated it beyond that. Um, it's okay for things to be just a match on Dynamite sometimes. Not everything can hit in the way that other stuff does, but it, especially with FTR coming out at the end, this looms in the shadow of way more exciting stuff happening in the tag division with other teams. Mm -hmm. So this isn't the time for the tag team champions and number one contenders in Red Dragon that are kind of in need of a ripper at this point to be having just a match. The expectations have been set higher by the the best, by the elite tier of this division. And I think this, like I personally think it's still quite a long way short of that. On the preview yesterday, me and Sidgwick were both like talking about how Red Dragon specifically, for different reasons like Jurassic Express, could do with something that would make the, the rain a bit more memorable. But Red Dragon were just in need of a ripper to be like, what we what he's doing here? You know, like, be be who we know you can be. I, I still think they've had it. Uh, backstage, the Blackpool Combat Club, including Wheeler Utah, are there. They're talking about the fact that they are going to face Gun Club in a trios match on uh, on Rampage, which we'll, of course, preview, as Sidge mentioned. Uh, Gun Club 24-0. and 0. That snuck up on me. Um, and Danielson's fired up, and he's excited to be fighting alongside uh, Wheeler Utah. 
Moxie doesn't like gun clubs. So he says they're going to break their faces. And Yuta closes it out by saying, on Friday, the real work begins. So excited to see how they work. And like I said, we'll preview that later on today. Uh, Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm face off. Uh, they are going to face off again in the first round of the Owen Hart Foundation tournament. Hayter says she's happy that's the case. It's her crowning moment in AEW. And, uh, well, Tony Storm just sort of walks off, basically, following that. And then we got MJF versus... Captain Sean Dean. Um, just love everything about this. Uh, MJF being unable to unzip his jacket so he can sneak attack the guy he said he hasn't even really been training to face. So he's like, oh, little git, you just got a fluke victory before because of bloody shenanigans. Well, he, he oh, bloody scarf stuck in a uh, zipper here. Boom, attacks Sean Dean. Beat him down, but then immediately, uh, a minute into the match, the cameras cut backstage, more security just laid out, including one, I think, who had had his shirt stolen by, he shall be not be named. Um, doesn't really care, though. Keeps beating down Sean Dean, um, and he goes out and celebrates on the outside. Bad idea, because who should walk through the crowd uh, wearing a mask? Uh, but I'll say it. Wardlow is there. Why with- wouldn't you see it, you simp? With the uh, <laughs> AEW staff shirt and the mask on. Uh, and MJF obviously hightails it out of there. Um, chase, gets chased up the ramp. Sean Spears tries to attack him with a chair. Wardlow, uh, Wardlow just obviously no-sells no it. And then all of the security in the arena seemingly run up to attack Wardlow. And he lays out, I don't know, 10 of them until the numbers game. And this really is, I often say the numbers game. But this was like 20 people. Slow, just just grab onto a bit of him and we can all together try and, try and pin him down. Like when they try and all fight Thanos, basically. <laughs> um, they restrain him. Uh, and then MJF suddenly realizes, oh, bollocks, I'm going to get counted out here. Uh, but he can't get down to the ring because Wardlow still got a chance of getting free and getting his hands on him. And also there's just so many bodies he can't get down there. So he grabs a mic and asks uh, Bryce Remsburg not to count to 10. And he triple his pay and Bryce Remsburg goes, oh, bollocks to you. 10, count out loss for MJF. Count out win for Sean Dean, as we have suggested in the past, considering the fact he's won via uh, surprise roll-up. And uh, disqualification, of course, in the CM Punk stuff. Um, MJF gets in Remsburg's face post-match, but Spears breaks it all up and makes sure he doesn't get fined even more, presumably. And the cameras cut backstage. Wardlow's still just wrecking dudes. He demands that MJF release him from his contract and then breaks the camera, which I assume will also be a fine levied at MJF because it's an employee <laughs> of his. But yeah, great stuff, all this. Yeah, there is, there's more depth to this than just... Silly finishes and big spectacular visuals, as we've discussed with Sean Dean's involvement before and what this kind of traces back to. But even if there wasn't, this would be great on its own terms because they've got this hot idea and it's not cooling down at all. Wardlow beating more and more people up in the building is only getting hotter for the live crowds to the point where, this week in particular, it felt like the kind of thing that you want to pay for a ticket to Dynamite for. It's becoming a thing that you want to be in person for is Wardlow's decimation of all these people as he attempts to get to MJF. It's, we know it's, a th- it's theatre of pro wrestling a little bit because it's, it's really asking you to suspend your disbelief that every week, once a week, this guy turns up at a building, has to batter 100 people just because he can't get his hands on this guy. But you love suspending your disbelief for the so good at killing them as well, though. Yeah. And I will say, I do apologise. I saw a tweet uh, addressed to you, to, to you guys yesterday when I assume you talked about this on the preview where someone said, I think 
it was Tony Khan on like Barstool Sports or something like mm. that. He'd be bloody busted open. He always loves them. He yeah. he was asked about, well, how come if Wardlow's you know not an ninth employee? place, ninth place in the charts. <laughs> if it, if Wardlow's not an employee of AEW, how does he keep getting into the buildings? And Khan basically said. Oh, someone must be slipping him a key, I suppose. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I replied to that because there's like, a little bit of LTST there going all the way back to the Cody referee belt spot, isn't there? The Everyone hates him. Yeah, like institutionally, people despise this guy. And the will sometimes broadcast team do a great job. Yeah, it's, well. and it's, uh, if even I don't Tony, know why? If, if even Tony Khan is with a wink and a nod, being like, "Oh no, somebody left the fire door open," just in <laughs> case, it's it's good stuff because it's rooted in. Again, this is what I'm saying. There's more depth to this than just enormous. Hilarious visuals, but they're great on their own terms. And in, this is fantastic pay-per-view build as well. Yeah, and in my head, he's not leaving a fire door open. He's literally leaving a key under a mat, just like a welcome yeah. mat to the arena each week. It's uh, like, I, I, I'm starting to think MJF wins the match. Like, I'm starting to think he beats Wardlow when they have the actual pay-per-view match as well. And wins the world title of CM Punk. Oh, yes, please. But, like, Wardlow's getting so much out of this that he's... I don't know if this is like WWE brain a little bit. He's already feeling so made, and MJF has these amazing pay-per-view matches that I kind of think MJF might beat him. He might, like, I, I don't know, like, going for the heat is seen as, it, like, you get the Bully Ray meme or something <laughs> now, but, like, also a busted open. But, yeah, I sort of feel like there's a there's an MJF win in this. This is so clever and so spectacular and literally so perfect as a segment of wrestling t- television Everyone sort of had two conflicting ideas of how this should go. Either Wardlow costs MJF the match or do more security guard killing because it's just the most awesome <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> and it's ridiculous on the surface because, as you said, there's 100 and he beats them all up. But, like, he's so goddamn good at it. The powerbomb in the apron on one of the security <laughs> guards. I was just jumping for joy at how like disturbing and violent it looked. Like what a horrible but awesome looking bump that was. He's, He's been awesome. watching Brock Lesnar, hasn't he? When he when Brock the other week was like, "I'll oh, just do a jumping kick because you're just yeah. a goober security. No one cares <laughs> about you." Kills him when he throws him off the wall. Like, He's just so good <laughs> at wrecking dudes. It's absolutely awesome. So everyone thought, right? He's either going to cost Sean Dean's not been there by accident. Um, so he's going to pour the humiliation on, um, everyone just thought it was going to be kind of a run-in, or the security thing again, yeah. and they put them both together by having him kill all the security guards, get overwhelmed by how many there are of them, but then they block it, they block MGF's entrance to the ring, so not only is MGF scared to go down, as you said brilliantly, just in case he gets free, it just puts him over, as if he doesn't need to put himself over anymore, so that's brilliant, but now that they've also done that, and MJF has lost to Sean Dean, you've now organically and believably arrived at the next story beat, which is MJF is so pissed off at the loss that Wardlow, and I'm not going to say it, but he's in his head a little bit, or is MJF's up in his feelings, which <laughs> the Yanks love to say, um, to the point where he's like, right, okay, I can't ignore this now, and I'm so pissed off that I'm going to set one of, my, uh, one of my heavies on you or pay someone to do it. So they've escalated this, the peak of the security thing, which surely was this because it was awesome, they now might not do next week or mm. leave it a week or two because just when they've perfected it and maybe running the risk of diminishing returns, they do the next beat of the story, and it's just so magnificently done. Do you know what it reminded me of as well, the, the Wardlow attack and security? 
that computer game of computer game, how old am I? That mobile game of yours where you get like loads of blokes and they sort of multiply and, just stuff go through and a little run an obstacle course. And then at the end, there's just this giant bloke with like an axe. <laughs> just go, right, 10 dead, 10 dead there, basically. I'll put that in the reply to the podcast because it is psychotic. This game that is that my kids discovered. It's like, oh, it's great because it teaches the maths at the same time. They multiply. You can go through like a times two box or a times three. And they can see that if you go through times three, you get more. And then, yeah, at the very end, there's this, like, little sprite with a stag do hat on and a big axe. And starts <laughs> signing them. And you've got the, the whole point of multiplying your men is to have enough to beat this one guy with a huge axe as he murders them at the end. How many bodies can you throw at this man? <laughs> Blood splatters. It's so, it's so vile. It's great. So the kids says, they found it. They were like, it's like, you should be monitoring them better. I know, yeah. There was uh, my kid loves FIFA, obsessed with FIFA, will always play it, and it's great. And then on like you know the Saturdays are pretty long, yeah. So you always get a little bit of tablet time. This is how it, this is how it happens. It's like, uh, what can I leave you with? And it's like, what is uh, what slipped through the net on YouTube, kids? A game like this. <laughs> so he's on YouTube, and I'm already thinking, hmm. Willborn's on YouTube. Let anyone on YouTube. So what's he watching? And he turns out he's watching this Yank who plays FIFA. And there's another guy. I think, what's this, James? It's like some guy who like does FIFA mods where it's like he's playing with the, the football's big and the pitch, and it's like <laughs> James loves it. And I'm thinking, oh, do you want to watch this on the telly? So we can watch it together. Put it on. And the fucking football's bigger than <laughs> bigger than fucking pitch. I'm like, oh, that's such a terrible dad. Uh, obviously, don't watch him. So obviously, if there are any parents out there, yeah, like make sure to monitor what they are doing on the friggin' internet. I'm going to sound like I'm doing like Will Bond's Tony D voice. They're not meaning to, but I, the kids were watching the Sonic one. And it was like, Knuckles, you goddamn son of a bitch. He's <laughs> <laughs> all right. He's just a red Sonic. Be honest, right? Because I had this when I was playing with my nephew. When you play with play FIFA with James, you know, there's a bit of, you want you want you don't want him just, just to have it all easy. We also don't want him to, you know, to just, just be like, dad wins 10 nil again or something. Is there ever a point or a thing that James does? Because I'll tell you right now, I was playing with my nephew. And it was like, he was like, oh, I'm going to be Liverpool. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll be. I mean, Chesterfield aren't even good enough to be on FIFA, but I'll, be, I'll just be like Gillingham or something like that. And uh, I'm I'm genuinely trying, but because the team's so crap, he like scores like this wonder goal. And he went, shoot! <laughs> and I was like, right, okay, we're going to play properly now, are we? Do you ever do that with James? Do you ever like go... Oh, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to take this defender and run through your entire team just to remind you that Daddy is actually good at FIFA. I do a stealth, I've done a stealth training program. He got it for Christmas, so and he was obviously useless at the start. So I was like, right, okay, James, what I'll do is I'll don't do the CPU because you get murdered. I'll play it with you and I'll just not try. It's actually hard because the defenders are like off the yeah. ball and stuff like that. We work out a system where you just do sliding tackles like two feet away from them on purpose so they get a, a sense of how to pass and how to run through your team and all the rest of it, and then. He starts to pick up the game, and when he's Liverpool, he batters us, right? So I don't do that, but I do like certain tests that he doesn't know about because he thinks that I'm he's beating me most of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every now and then I will kill him just so it doesn't look like <laughs> like I'm just letting him win because he's smarter than that. He will get no, so it's all very I'm quite clever with this. But every now and then I'll say, right, okay, I'm gonna try in this one, but I can only score goals with a specific technique just because I about how good I am at scoring. <laughs> it's where you do a chipped pass um, over the shoulder of the last defender. Your forwards running on, and you do like a rainbow arc volley, like uh, like Modric. I was the just saying the Modric one the other night. Yeah. So, so like, you like chip pass over the shoulder of the last defender, 
one of your forwards runs on. So you have to, like, when it's on the volley, you have to press down and shoot, because if you just press shoot, it'll just go outside the bloody stadium. So, because it's lovely rainbow, and it goes, like, <laughs> bottom bins, and it's, like, the nicest thing he's ever seen. And, like, I just go mad. <laughs> when, I sc- when one of those comes off, it's, like, once... Like a week, twice a week, <laughs> but always try for that specific. I just he hates it. He app his Christmas isn't in retrospect is ruined because I'm just going ballistic. Instant replays every angle. <laughs> oh, can't play two games. Sorry, because I spent so long rewatching all my games. That, unfortunately, it's bedtime and I want to make a taste. <laughs> the switch internal memory. So hit is the bricks. Saved. Hit the bricks with like all the sort of video replays that you've got in your gallery. <laughs> hit the bricks. It's time for bed. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Anyway, back to AW Dynamite, and uh, we got a uh, video from Darby Allen to, I think, announce a coffin match with. Andrade Ali, though. Sweet Jesus. That's the end. That is the end of everything in terms of butchering the blade at the Hardys and all that. This is the end. This is the real quiz. Okay. One would hope. Should next, be, it should be class. Next Wednesday? I think it is. Next Wednesday. Yeah, next time. Who did you have the last coffin match with? Uh, Ethan Page. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. That was <laughs> only put him in it and then jumped on top of it anyway. Brutal. Yeah, yeah he coffins off the coffin, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, then we got Malachi Black talking to Bollocks. Um, uh, he said, "Yeah, all of this twenty-minute period of Dynamite was terrible." <laughs> he said, "He basically said Fuego del Sol needs to be afraid of the shadows." I, I was going to write down what he said, and I was like, "Oh, this is like when Bray, Bray Wyatt used to cut promos." I was like, uh, "The central theme is this." <laughs> I don't care. The central theme. We're not, is I'm it. not going to do the, the house Undertaker th- massively puts over Bray Wyatt. I love that guy to come home. The, uh, the central theme of his promos were fundamentally quite good, <laughs> but like. I'm not going to do the House of Black thing because we like the House of Black now, but just doing stuff in ring I and not not lights on, lights off stuff. Just wrestle because it's great when they when they wrestle. Look, I was off when you two gave up on the House of Black, and I think you went prematurely. <laughs> like I th- he, he cannot help it. He, he is who he is, and luckily what he is is a, is like a great wrestler. So the matches will always be fine, but it's comes with this as well. That's n- this is never going away. This is inoffensive by his standards. I don't yeah. know what the hell he was talking by about. His standards. I didn't know what he was, t- I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> he got something to look at when he's talking. <laughs> right, we got uh, Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz wearing uh, 
cool hand Andrew's uh, <laughs> shoes around his neck versus the Jericho Appreciation Society, represented by Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, and sports entertainer Daniel Garcia. Um, early on, Santana and Jericho, uh, Santana takes Jericho down, in fact, uh, and the two teams just sort of all brawl on the outside. There's Ortiz and Hager, uh, and Hager hits a power slam. That allows the Jericho Appreciation Society to take control as we go to break. When we come back, Ortiz gets a bit of space, gets cut off by Garcia, but finally gets to Kingston for the hot tag, and he just goes bonkers, and I only Eddie Kingston can. Um Takes, gets rid of the opponents on the apron. Double underhook, suplex. Santana comes in on Garcia and hits the uh, three amigos, followed by a frog splash. Crad loves all that, of course. That gets a two count. Uh, Ortiz comes in. Uh, he keeps up the attack. Kingston takes out Hager with a suicide dive. Uh, Ortiz just throws Garcia at Jericho at one point, and Santana dives onto Jake Hager. Uh, but then... Um, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Ange, they run down, uh, but Ortiz sees this coming, flip dives onto them. It is Garcia alone in the ring. Kingston comes in, hits an exploded suplex, uh, but then Garcia avoids the spinning back fist, and as Kingston hits the ropes, Jer- uh, Jericho twats him with Floyd the Bat, and Garcia covers for the one, two, three. Uh, post-match, they get it all beat down. This is, you know, five-on-three numbers game. And I was wondering whether this was going to be the point where some two people join it to make five-on-five. But no, it was just just the Jericho Appreciation Society in control, battering these three guys. Uh, I think it was Santana got hit with the Judas Effect to close this whole thing off. This didn't do a great deal for me, um, but I will give it... I haven't completely lost interest in the storyline because there's so many beautiful little details that I'm willing to write this one off as a a kind of a a building block for something that's probably inevitably going to be awesome um, down the line because I can just tell from little details of the Mm storyline how much they are actively loving this and are preserving things um, down the line. Like The shoe stuff was great. The the sting before Judas now... (laughs) It's oh, so I forgot to mention that. Phenomenally WWF. Yeah. Distinctly WWF as well. So it's like, it's so cool because you don't want to strictly emulate what WWE are doing now to get the point across because it's trash. <laughs> and nobody wants to watch that. But to get the idea over that they are sports entertainers, but the good kind, but still the kind that Eddie Kingston would hate, they are working with the exact kind of nostalgia that people can sort of have a wry, like, entertained smirk at. And um, so I really like that. Um, this was remarkably civilized as a match considering how heavy they went on the on-site stuff and how they sort of did it cross-promotionally with New Japan um, as well. I just couldn't get over how civilized this was. I'm not saying it was bad because I didn't do my fantasy booking, but on-site usually means on-site. Mm-hmm. Get this thing out of the way. Get Judas out of the way and then make Chris Jericho hate the fact that they interrupted Judas and his ego wank, which is now canon as well, by attacking them on site the second they came out through the tunnel, wild brawl ensues. Obviously, this is all going to end up. I think a lot of people are thinking blood and guts for this. I'm one of them. Um, don't know who the other two people are. Discussion for another day. So they're trying to not escalate the violence like this much yet, with the idea being that they're going to do their super turbocharged, wild plunder brawl, super intense stuff when the storyline demands it. The issue is that the storyline demanded something mm-hmm. way hotter and more intense and furious than this last week with the on-site stuff. I was just watching this fairly mid, not bad at all. Some nice little moments with Garcia um, really knowing what to do when he's like 
getting stuff done to him, like trying to punch out and all the rest of it. Some nice sequences where you thought the dive was going to go one way and it went the other. Like, there was some nice stuff in it, but it was just so thoroughly mid and the tone was all wrong. I will say this as well. Uh, AEW, I think it's fair to say, have got a bit of a checkered history when it comes to T-shirts. Mm. Uh, and they've got the Blackpool Combat Club, which looks like it's just smeared in blood, basically. <laughs> a bit like what happened uh, with Wheeler Utah on Rampage. And now they've got the Daddy Magic uh, Jericho Appreciation Society one, which I'm like, oh, I think I might buy that. <laughs> I think it's because you're being hypnotized by his eyes, isn't it? They've captured his stare and slapped it on a T-shirt. It's one of them are sort of like... In, like they've... The t-shirt company don't show much ingenuity when it comes to the t-shirts they sell, and they've nailed that one. Mid was the exact word I had. This is a bit long and a bit mid for where this rivalry is at. The, I think in hindsight, and this Dynamite certainly didn't need more matches, a match was the wrong way to go. I think it slightly diluted the energy of what Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful were trying to summon with this on-site crack. There's not a thing that Eddie Kingston says or does that I don't believe, so it's not particularly isolated to him, and that's just the magic that he's got. But wrapped in the context of a kind of like standard trios match it all felt it felt a bit fake it felt a bit closer to the sports entertainment than the real violence that even the real violence that was someone up hiding behind a curtain waiting for their moment because they'd seen what um the spotlight jericho's lot had set up the week prior you could sort of buy that they were like oh well, when they reveal themselves they're going to be behind a curtain because they're due this attack i wasn't really feeling it i found myself thinking more of like to Sidgwick's point, I found myself thinking of the what daft sports entertainment stuff they can could incorporate into Blood and Guts. Chris Jericho trying to somehow do a parody of the terrible floor fall from the first one to make make good on it, you know. And rather than actually concentrating on the match that was in front of me, probably should have just been some sort of creative angle or beatdown instead of a, a straight-up match. I don't know whether I've gone too sports entertainer on this, but at the moment I saw... The answer's yes already. Yeah. The moment I saw Eddie Kingston making and the guys making that entrance and the shoes and what have you, I think Santana Ortiz looks so good with with Kingston, by the way. When he had the thump T-shirt on, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, the Jericho Appreciation Society going to be Eddie Kingston and Santana Ortiz next week and like Jericho's going to wear a T-shirt that says chump on it or something. Great. That's great. That's actually really great. Parody angles. Yeah. Parody stuff. Like, in Blood and Guts, Kingston puts a doink wig mask on one of the heads and starts smashing them in the face with it until the blood seeps through <laughs> the white bit of the mask. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we got the bit that we referenced earlier on with uh, MJF, Sean Spears, and, of course, Mark Sterling. MJF is furious uh, because it was, I think it was Marves was sort of chuckling away like, <laughs> he got being by, by Sean Dean again, and MJF was like, you're laughing at me. Uh, he's furious. He said he doesn't need sympathy, though, because he's got money. That's what make the wor- makes the world go round. Um, and Sterling said, well, you know, he's, he, he owns Wardlow, effectively. He's got the right to book him, gets anyone he chooses, and he booked him against the goddamn butcher. Tremendous. Like, really, really great. Like, it's Wardlow wrestling now. What's ingenious about this whole thing is that Wardlow wrestling feels like a treat again. He's been this guy that's suddenly been forced onto the fringes and had to fight his way back in. He gets back in, and he gets the butcher. In this case, if you just wanted to see these two men throw their bodies at each other, like an absolutely sublime booking when I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating getting a Wardlow match until the MJF one. So the fact that he's coming back for something like this, and it's because he's gotten into MJF's head, he's picked up from the CM Punk view that it's so much more about what you do physically with MJF is it you've got to get in into the mind games with MJF because that's how he operates. That he's worked his way back into the building and back into a match. He is he's rent free, isn't he? In Max's head, he's done it. Mm. Oh yeah. 
Greatly. Greatly. <laughs> Uh, then we got uh, Marina Shafir versus Sky Blue. Um, we had Jay Cargill watching backstage. And we had the baddies section, which I love the way they were like, oh, my God, it's Red Velvet and Kira Hogan in the baddies section, which, I, you know, it, it's an interesting uh, wrinkle and an interesting development. Uh, but I just love the way they really kind of oversold it a little bit. This scene with the baddies. <laughs> anyway. In, in contrast, sorry, while it's on the top of my head, uh, Jim Ross undersold it. Excalibur doing what? He does, which is great, is sort of trying to spark a thought in the, the minds of the audience. Oh, what are they doing there with him? Jim Ross all but said, who cares? <laughs> he sold more for his, his sort of doppelganger. Yeah. Did you did you hear his one earlier in the night as well? Well, it's uh, dive's night at the barbecue restaurant. Kids eat free. Because right? there was obviously so many dives. He was like, how do I articulate that I'm massively pissed <laughs> off watching this? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it should he, be. He's such a... Yeah. <laughs> you got to be nice to Jim Ross. I, I like him half the time. But, like, I watched him call the win. Yeah. yeah he, he never goes, oh, stupid ass I'm doing. What is trying to intercourse with the cameras? <laughs> it's like he plays favourite city because it's, like, Punk's my favourite, so he can play that favourite all day long, but he can just feel how much he loves calling CM Punk. Great, you've got a goddamn proper roster out here. <laughs> like, he's the, like he's the coach from the South Park episode. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Punk does a dive, and it's just like this gentle show. When Punk does a dive, he's like, he's like, "That's a CM Punk, actual goddamn star here. Teach, teach you stupid punks how to get over." Like Darby Allen's flinging himself, people. Oh, dive not. <laughs> Come on, be consistent. Uh, so Shafir dominates uh, Sky Blue for the most part. Judo throws, slams her about. Blue to get some offense in. She goes for a DDT. Shafir just got bear hugs her, plants her. Blue fights back, uh, but then Shafir. Uh, pounds away at her, pump handle suplex, hits a palm strike, head scissors choke for the victory. And this was very much directed towards the baddie section. And Jade Cargill, although she was backstage and on her phone for the most part and couldn't really give a toss. Literally all over the place, this. Between the ring, the backstage, and they had them stand next to it. You're not allowed to take the piss out of how WWE does it and then do the same thing. Mm. Oh, hey, man. Think of the optics of this. Baddie section... Basically, it was just AEW doing literally everything possible on the night to avoid booking a long women's match. Let's get a short one. That's good. Uh, do I have to actually watch it? <laughs> um, yeah, in a match with Sky Blue that Jim Ross, oddly, just wasn't interested in. I don't know why he wouldn't. I've seen his Twitter <laughs> likes. Um, this just... It was a weird experience watching it on telly um, because I barely watched it on telly. The crowd did not give a toss. I think Shafir just fell completely flat, um, unfortunately, because he would. what you'd like to see is a bit of a groundswell of support. Mm-hmm. If It really felt like the women were delivering in the spot and that uh, the booking was doing them no favours. Like at this point, we're going to have to have a women's revolution in AEW. Like that's so bad. Um, but yeah, apathy and amateur hour in virtually every single criteria of this. Yeah, the women have got to not just be as good as they can be. They've got to be twice that because in every single woman's storyline, you can see the wires. So you know that a, a challenger is being built up to lose. You know, you can kind of always see who's actually going to win the title. Mm. They're not very good at telling stories or establishing heat or rivalries between the women. So for the most part, it is always this woman that six weeks ago you didn't care about has been on a little bit of a win streak. And then she gets the big profile match, whether that's on Dark, Dark Elevation or even Rampage or Dynamite. They get this one win that is supposed to be like, and now they're ready, and now we're going to get the title match. But 
you're faking it if you're saying, oh, what's going to happen when Marina Shafir fights Jade Cargill? Well, Jade Cargill's going to win. Like, they have done this so many times that you no longer believe that it's happening again with Nyla Rose and Thunder Rosa. Like, every single story goes exactly the same way, and you've long decided he's actually going to dethrone the champion. Mm. But their failure to tell engaging stories means that you never buy it. So the women have to work twice as hard, and the matches have to be twice as exciting as they should be to try and elevate the bad material. And too often, they don't do that either. So it's it's lose-lose. Mm. And this was the case with Shafir. I was more... Just a paradox we'll never get out of. Yeah. I was so much more into the idea of Marina Shafir, Jade Cargill, before this match took place. Yeah. And that's a problem, unfortunately, in this case, which Shafir's work, which wasn't amazing. But the bigger issue is, is still the booking. Women's Revolution is bang right. Mm. They've got to, like... That, the tag division... Like, tag division booking in the women's division... Like, you've said this before, Sidgwick. Load the division up with as many awesome wrestlers as you can and then just do the matches. Like, my criticism of the tag division is not the quality of the work for the most part. It's the fact that it only ever really feels like if you're not doing something with the Young Bucks, you're not doing much. Like, maybe just apply that to the women's division. You know, like, if you're not doing something with the champion, at least there's loads of matches going on. At least there's a sense of he does up and down in the, in the rankings and stuff, you know? He has the same philosophy with the men's division as the women's, and he needs to really rethink that and just do way more all-star stuff in mm. the women's because a lot of the greener talent aren't coming along at all. A lot of the few women that fans will make a noise for are barely on the show because it's the same sort of, like, um, rotating cast. Mm-hmm. He needs to really disrupt that booking pattern on the women's division and... Just something needs to change after three friggin' years. Like, mm. Deeb and Sheeda have gone away again. So in, t- like, two weeks' time, when Out of Nowhere, you get a video package where Deeb's like, I'm sick of you, Sheeda, and this has got to end at double or nothing. It was like, you weren't pissed off for the last month. And yeah. now you've suddenly <laughs> got annoyed all over again. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. The women need to be all that in a bag of chips. Speaking of which, Hook was interviewed backstage. <sighs> that is, you don't get that anywhere else. Yeah, I know. For good bloody reason. Not on free radio anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Hook gets interviewed, and by that he means he doesn't answer any questions when his interview gets interrupted by Tony Nese and his tiny knees and Mark Sterling. Um, He resents Hook, basically. Uh, But Hook just leaves and chucks a medicine ball behind him as Danhausen stood there in his gym gear, and uh, Danhausen gets knocked over before he can can curse him. It's all weird, a bit weird, this. I mean, it was, it was great because in the end, we get, we're getting a hook on Dynamite next week, I believe. But this was playing to the Hook Gang Gallery, mm. this. Um, I would be wary personally of memifying him too much. Look, I want to see, I want to see Rip Danhausen to shreds. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I do. I want to tear him apart. Is that where this is going, though? Oh, like, that could be made. I don't know, like, the, the Team Taz babyface turn feels inevitable, and Hook has driven that by being so goddamn popular. I would I, hopefully this isn't going this way, but I'd be wary at this point not to memeify who because I think he's he's cooler than Twitter likes. The guy is leaving on Twitter, so this feels like a direction I personally wouldn't take it in. I will let it play out, and ironically, mm-hmm. it's AW. Um, I do think, however, programming him with a more interest interesting by default Tony Nice because he's got Mark Sterling with him is a fabulous booker move because Tony Nice, if nothing else, will be incredible at guiding Hook through a proper competitive 10-minute yes. match. I'm just picturing that Hook t-shirt, just the word Hook on it, and then they make a new one where you've got, like, Danhausen's face, and it's like Hook Housen. You see his little face underneath. Like, they're already a tag team in my mind. Oh, shut to, up, to sell to that very specific <laughs> corner of AW's audience. Uh, Dan Lambert, Men of the Year. Uh, they call out Sammy Kavar and take on T, and we're getting the TNT title match. I don't really want to talk about anything else that they said. No, we'll do it on... Uh, well, we're off preview. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
we've not really even discussed this. Sorry, this is going to trample over the dynamite thing, and I should just listen to you guys do an excellent podcast on it. But that rampage segment was the piss, right? Yeah, like we're all in agreement that that Sammy, yeah. that Sammy Guevara, Ethan Page stuff about kids and uh, abysmal. Oh, abysmal. Well, no, just like it's got a very small section of worst ever, and it's gone straight in. It there. got edited to death as well. Apparently, got booed out the building in Boston. They didn't think it was a wicked pisser. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and they just edited around it to, to fool us into thinking that the people we, they know that we know that we hate, I uh, hate this. Get out of the good stuff. Okay, well, that was Team Taz versus Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. Uh, Ricky Stark's very popular, unsurprisingly. Gets a bit emotional. I was really like that, that just, you know, just showing how you actually feel as part of his entrance. Uh, we start off with uh, Hobbs and Swerve, and, uh, yeah, Hobbs uses his power advantage to take over, and then in comes Starks to a huge baby, uh, and he does a... It's sort of old school by The Undertaker, but it's got the uh, the sprinkling of Ricky Starks all over it. It looked absolutely great. Um, it hits Swerve with a power slam, but Swerve fights back. Drop kick allows him to tag Keith Lee in, who uh, sends both Hobbs and Starks to the outside, and Swerve moonsaults off Keith Lee's chest to take us to a commercial. That is a way to make me stick around if uh, if we're going to break with stuff like that. Um, so Team Taz all try to cut off Keith Lee's on this run of offense when we come back, uh, but Lee does a gr- is a leapfrog thing and then just beals Starks into his own partner. Uh, discus forearm from Lee and, uh, and Swerve, a oh, combo sort of discus forearm kick uh, from Lee and Swerve gets them a two count. Uh, Starks co- counters a rolling cutter though. Spear flipping DDT, that gets a near fall. Uh, Swerve chucks Starks into a pounce from Keith Lee. This stuff they works so well as a tag team, Swerve and Lee. Um, and then Lee and Hobbs get in each other's face and then gets a great reaction from the crowd as well. Uh, but all that distraction allows Starks to hit an Inseguri. Um Lee counters the Rochambeau. Taz, Taz walks to ringside to a great reaction, of course. And Hobbs breaks up the Doomsday device but gets sent into the post. Lee puts Starks on the top rope. Uh, Starks comes back with a diving spear, covered, but gets hit with a 450 splash from Swerve. And then as Lee is coming off the ropes, Taz trips him. That is enough of a distraction to allow Hobbs to spinebuster Keith Lee for the one, two, three. This was alongside the MJF Wardlow stuff, the undoubted highlight of the show for me. I thought this was absolutely awesome. I was in it every single second. I loved it. One of the reasons why, like, Ricky Starks has already got a better rope walk than The Undertaker. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. He does a different pose with every step, and it seems like a silly, fun, crowd-pleasing thing to do. That's also very cool. But that's, like, the character, and he's sort of in a program now with another character who fancies himself as the biggest showboat, the coolest guy in the entire promotion. And they are having this rivalry premised on the fact that they are both incredibly cool cocksure guys and they want to be the most cool cocksure guy and they articulate this in the ring by doing incredibly cool taunts and moves, which it would be cool enough if they were just doing these things in wrestling matches because they're very exciting and they look really impressive visually and athletically, but it's all perfectly in character and consistent in the parameters of the story and this is also preludes and teasers for the two incredibly impressive specimens doing stuff of which they have no physical right to do. The leapfrog. Oh, my God. This is just absolutely class. And I was so delighted by a screwy finish because usually the screwy finish is something that just prolongs something unnecessarily. I want more of this. And this finish told me I'm getting more of it. And I welcome more of it. Love this. 
Yeah, echo all that. This was just magic. The it's one thing that the like the teams mirror each other in terms of you've got your big guy and you've got your little guy, but yeah, the peacocking battle between Starks and Swerve and then the explosive big man battle. Having both, knowing that you're gonna get both, and this match feeling so this was like Wild West stuff at points, but it was so organically done. Like this is the this match, probably the best example on this dynamite, but there's always one every week. It's probably the best example of the opposite of what we talk about when we talk about the WWE formula match. You put this match on a Raw or a SmackDown. It'll never happen. And what happens <laughs> yeah. What happens is an agent that has agented a million identical WWE tag team matches sets up, let's say, a long heat sequence and a hot tag with no moves that make the most of each man's skills. You know, just, just a chin lock... A hold, maybe a dive here and there. If, if Raw's got a roll on, for example, if it's on television, but that's about your lot, and you see nothing of any of the individual characteristics of all four. Here, you've got the complete opposite, and you've got to watch all four. Like this was completely unreal at points, and yet felt real in how these men would choose to fight. You talk about like the Keith Lee Beal spot, for example, it's because you've got the power and you've got a small guy. You want to believe that backstage they've thought, right? Well, how can we use his small size against him? How can, like, if you're Keith Lee, how can I use yours, Swerve Size, as a way to get them? You know, it's like, it's just all of them acting completely than they would in this, you know, emula emulation of a fight. This wouldn't be how they'd have a real fight. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, get him a chest quick jump on him. But <laughs> in terms of pro wrestling contests, this is exactly how mm. they would do it. And yeah, as, as Sidgwick says, just want to watch it again. Just want to see more of it. Swerve and Keith Lee might be, like, and ultimately you don't have to be official teams in AW have friends in it it's great it's awesome that people just have mates on this roster but i'm not saying that keith lee and swerve were maybe like flawed but they might be the answer to each other's minor problems yeah. on this roster you know like keith lee there was in my opinion unfair criticisms about like how physically ready he was for all of this and there was maybe a couple of questions being asked of how swerve's like idiosyncratic style would fit in unorthodox we've described it as yeah. before yeah unorthodox Seeing them as a tag team, you're like, oh, that's how both of these two might work. There might be something to this beyond just this program. Absolutely. I agree completely. Uh, right, we go backstage with uh, Simon Miller's new best friend, Thunder Rosa. Check out Thunder Rosa's <laughs> latest vlog to see him just dying after eating, uh, I think they go for tacos and he has a chili and it's just, it's, it's just, it ends exactly the way you think it's going to. Um bit like this segment, because uh, Thunder Rosa got immediately interrupted uh, by Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero. They've got a cake to celebrate how short her title reign is, uh, but they didn't get the writing on it because it costs more money, and she's just not worth it. And Rosa says, do you think I'm stupid? And they say, yes. And uh, Thunder Rosa sends the uh, cake into Nyla Rose's face, and she gets blind, and she flails around and twats Vicky by mistake. And then uh, Rosa gets, they brawl a bit, and then Rosa gets sent in some some boxers backstage and uh yeah nyla rose recovers it slightly by yelling the joke's on you because i love cake but i just it's battle of the belts you know uh, just the build for this has been really off for me nyla rose with a popper at the end is not enough because elevating bad material is what wwe wrestlers are required to do not AEW ones uh just uh god i'll talk about it on the preview i don't want to do it twice <laughs> <laughs> it's just Tony Khan doesn't care about women's wrestling, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ring of Honor TV Championship was the main event. It was Minoru Suzuki defending 
the tightly won from Rhett Titus at Supercard of Honor against Samoa Joe. And yeah, they chopped the crap out of each other for like the opening two minutes, it felt like. Uh, and then they went, all right, it's enough of that. Let's just trade forearms instead. So they do that. Joe takes down Suzuki with a shoulder tackle. Uh, Suzuki recovers and gets Joe to come after him on the apron. And that allows him to get the arm bar in amongst the ropes. We go to a break. Joe regains control. He's got Suzuki in a cross face when we come back. Uh, Suzuki comes back and hits him with a soccer kick. Teals a pi- teals- teases a pile driver. Uh, but again, chop battle. And then baits Joe into a choke. But Joe gets out of it with a side slam. Suzuki comes back. Running drop kick. Goes for that gotch pile driver. Joe pa- Hours out of it, puts Suzuki on the top rope, goes for the muscle buster. Suzuki tries to turn it into an arm bar, but Joe powers out, muscle busters Minoru Suzuki. One, two, three. He is your new Ring of Honor TV champion. We'll talk about what came afterwards in a second, but let's talk about the match itself first, Sige. The most succinct way I can, like, way, the most succinct way I have described this match is that it was a three-star match with a five-star minute and a half at the start. Mm -hmm. Like, it felt iconic. It felt with every facial expression, just the defiance, the challenge. The way their chest changed color before your very eyes. (laughs) The the sound, the idea that they were like, right, we are both held aloft equally as myths and legends of hardcore wrestling fandom. I don't want to be the one to be less than that compared to you. So neither of us can stand to lose this chop battle or to even move or to sell it. And it's just this incredible thing. The facial expression sold such a great story. And they all built it up for a bump, a flat back bump. And it was amazing. And no other flat back pump of the year will get a reaction like that. No. Incredible stuff. And then it kind of became a match that was almost just there. Cool bits in it. But it peaked incredibly early. But if you can, like, divide a match in, like, segments, and one of them is worth five stars, that's all I needed. That's yeah. literally all I needed. Yeah, smoke and mirrors is not a criticism in wrestling because wrestling's a work. That's supposed to be part of it. If, you, if you're not capable physically or you're getting older or whatever, it doesn't matter if you can make people feel like you can. And they nearly nailed this. And then, yeah, I completely agree with Cedric. Like, just ever slightly missed the peak. We talked on the preview yesterday about this. The, not so much with Minoru Suzuki, oddly enough. The trick was obscuring maybe what Samoa Joe couldn't do in making this feel as physical as it once would have been 10 to 12 mm. years earlier. And for a couple of minutes, they did an amazing job. They lived up to the graphic. They lived up to the billing, all that sort of stuff. Um, I thought the Muscle Buster was the right finish. It's it's absolutely, like, for some awkward reasons, it's regained its power, isn't it, as a, yeah. as a real death blow. So I thought that was a perfect way to put him away. Um, this was about this was about where I thought it would be, but I I, I kind of thought they could obscure it, obscure the limitations a little bit better than they did. It's good though; it, it wasn't a bad time. It just like anybody that went into this thinking it was going to be the epic of ten years ago, that was probably more on them than it was the wrestlers themselves. But if the show had ended there, we'd have all been quite happy with, with far happier. Yeah. I'd say with this. It. Honestly, this post match segment was a disaster and it fell flat. It didn't ruin my time. I just didn't have the very best time I've ever had watching the show anyway. I'm always so swung by it. I'll come in after Raw. Because you're and, a dog. Yeah, I'll come in. <laughs> I, go, I come in and go, gosh, was that a really good Raw? And you go, no, because of this, 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 and this. And I go, 
Yeah, but the end, the last 30 seconds, do you remember that? So anyway, let's talk about the the ending to this show, and then I'm going to say something incredibly hyperbolic. This is inevitably going to be shot down, but it'll still be a good bullet point for the podcast, so I'm going to include it anyway. So, Jay, uh, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, they've been watching at ringside. They've just talked about Suzuki and Joe having an obscure They've talked about this big prize that they've got for, for Joe at the end, and they reveal, it's bugger all! They take the lid off, and it's just, you know, flipping. Popped. Joe. You're reaching the pocket, man. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, and then the lights go out in the arena, and when they come up, there is a massive bastard in the ring. It's Satnam Singh, uh, former basketball player, I'm informed. Uh, like I said, Tony Schiavone has to sort of fill you in on who this is and what, you know, he's been in AEW. He used to be a, a, a massive basketball player. Now he's here. He's making his TV Love the implication. Debut. Like, so it's on you if you don't, if you're not popping at this, it's actually on you because we've got all this information. <laughs> it's been here for years. Come on, guys. So uh, he takes Joe down. Uh, Jay Lethal and Sanjay don't get involved as well as the vice grip on the head of Joe's skull that he sells like death. Uh, and then uh, Lethal hits him with a lethal injection and they stand tall. I think Sanjay Dutt drapes his jacket over Joe. He didn't like that. Um, and they've got the belt and stuff and they all stand over him to close the show and he just, he, we've seen the backlash this has got online. Was this the worst ending to AW Dynamite ever? No, of course, no. It, wasn't. Of course it wasn't. Still, still can have it as a bullet point. I've asked the question, so it still counts. Oh, that's what that was for. Yeah. I said, I've, I've already shown yeah, my hand. Yeah. December 18, 2019. Worse yeah. than this. Well, this is what, this is what I'm saying. Uh, the Teleportation, why, Matt Hardy. Yeah, the reason <laughs> the why I asked that is because it has... Engagement and clicks. That, that also, but also, yeah, the comparison, like, like well, you said yourself, and I'm sure, you know, well, you tweeted it, didn't you? I did tweet it, and mega fans will obviously forgive me oh, for this. Um, no, but, it is worse in some ways because lessons had to have been learned. That's it, yeah. And the fact that they weren't learned and applied means that it kind of has to be worse than something that was derided because it's the listening company not listening and just whatever. This is obviously terrible. You can't do the big reveal... Because the big reveal is like, ah, it was him all along. The big reveal is, nah, that was a twist. The big reveal is meant to literally reveal something. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. If there was vignettes hinting at this monster of a man, who, my God, looks terrible in there, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you would think, ah, so that's who he's aligned with or whatever, or that he's here now. Like, you can't do the lights on, lights off and reveal nothing. You just can't do it. It's absolutely terrible drama, terrible writing, terrible book, and whatever you want to call it as. Um, didn't if he was this awesome seven foot guy who just killed some more Joe in the most gruesome and aesthetically pleasing looking of ways, people would forgive the the pin drop of the actual reveal. But this is, this is all as an omni disaster because he didn't look good. No one knew who he was. Hadn't been built. Revealed nothing. Um, it was a 2019 era during what felt last week and to an extent this week and ever since revolution and a revolution itself, the next golden period of yeah. this company for them to misfire this badly was genuinely appalling. But I, honestly, I generally thought the stuff for the women's division throughout the past two or three weeks, I was more offended by that than this. Yeah, I like, um, I like Lumbering Giant. Love him, honestly. Yeah. One of my, one of my one of my wrestling kinks this, but this was pretty poor by those standards. I, I was more offended at like Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt punching above their weight being in an AEW Dynamite main event segment. So like Jay Lethal, I don't want to put him over. I don't. If you look at his match quality and his reactions, he's as worthy as a main event as anybody I else. I disagree, man. He's a ten a, pen, ten a penny guy for me at this point. Listen to the crowd. Standards standards like so high, so much higher than it was. 
Like I don't like him much either. He's not my style of wrestler. But if you look at the react, he went. He got dueling chance with John Moxley. Come on, you can't be. No, I suppose. Not, 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 I suppose. And Andy pointed out in the news, he's got this obviously, a bias with the, with the TV championship as oh, well. Oh, no, I understand all that. I yeah, and with Joe like, himself, like Joe meant yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And like, it's... it's. I don't want to see ROH stuff on an AWTV main event, but well, Jay Lethal himself, the talent, gauging by the, the reactions his matches get, dueling chance with Moxley, he's, I'm sorry, he's incredibly over and worthy of that stage. I don't want him to be. Well, th- so maybe there's a Ring of Honor point to be made here. So a Supercard of Honor... Like, Tony Khan set about creating this, you know, like, Ring of Honor 2.0, where he, like, lines up all these <laughs> AW people in positions of, like, being champions, of winning matches, and all this kind of thing. And yet he still ends the show with Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt as the new heel concern for Samojo to come out and play saviour, right? I like the idea of the AW overlaps and then having something that felt more Ring of Honor-y in the Ring of Honor main event. It doesn't work the other way around. Like you put the Ring of Honor guys as as your AEW undercard if you want to. If you want to put, um, so they advertised uh, Jonathan Gresham and Dalton Castle for is it for Dynamite or Battle, Battle of the Belt? Battle of the, Battle of the belt. belt. That makes sense to me, right? If I'm honest, like because like as I was saying on another podcast, Ring of Honor titles can sort of it's a bit of a free hit for a Battle of the Belt if you don't want if you want to give away your tag title matches and your Hangman Pages Adam Cole's on your shows, you still got belts of certain prestige for mm-hmm. Battle of the Belt. So that I get that right. Dynamite main event segment, absolutely not. Especially if, because they're already now trying to have the cake and eat it. Like, if Ring of Honor is going to serve as something of a developmental for AEW, or for a place for a Brian Cage type figure to go, it's unspoken, but there's a tear, isn't there? It's like, yeah, you're going to go down to the championship for a bit, and then we'll maybe bring you back up to the Premier League when the time's right. So then don't put the championship teams on last on your Premier League show. Dynamite's your... I think Jurassic Express versus Red Dragon should have headlined but I can understand why he took the risk because of the reactions that Lethal's been getting. Well, and this, like, it's, it's a favour, isn't it? It's this, like, is there not an Indian market to try and penetrate? That's a mm-hmm. story coming out today. Like, boring TV rationale rather than being a creative choice, which is which is rubbish when it's WWE and it's rubbish in AEW too. Mm. Like, the J- I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, like, surrender the point on Jay Lethal to an extent, but, like, how a man. Like, his best years are still behind him. Let's not pretend that we're like. Let's not pretend there's a wheelie. I'm not U- pretending anything. Like, there's not. He's not a wheelie Utah guy, and wheelie Utah got great reactions against John Moxley too. Like, if you're gonna have, I mean, that was based on the fact that they've told this absolutely incredible story, mm. and Jay Lethal and John Moxley had an exhibition match without any story, like no sort of long term goal. Just it's a good way to start Jay Lethal on his next arc and to get a good match out of John Moxley. I don't want to put over Jay Lethal this much, <laughs> but I can absolutely understand the reasoning of building a dynamite main event around him because he's completely surpassed my shrugging expectations of, of what he might accomplish in this company. Him like, and Sanjay Dutt is like, kill it. Like, do you want to see them two against like the Blackpool I Combat d- Club? I Not don't. you. All right, but like, <laughs> do, you think that, do you think that even stands up? Is it like, so these three against Gage the Blackpool... Gage Bayer's reactions, yes. Oh, I don't know, like... But why? You, just because you don't like him. The guy is ridiculously, ridiculously over and has been since his first Dynamite main event. Would like to, uh, maybe I don't want this to be any more true than you do. <laughs> I'm telling you, the reality of the situation is these AEW fans in the arenas see Jay Lethal pretty much on the same... They see him as big as most like main event level concerns. Bring back Cody then. I don't get it either, yeah, but they do. Right. Maybe you're right, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd, I'd listen, like, I'll listen. Let's get some numbers. Let's 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 look at Jay Lethal's ratings and see how like how this bears out. Well, let's see how mm. this goes. That like I, I think right. Just listen to the reaction. I think the response to the giant on Twitter, I think would be, 
Like, I, I, I think it's as bad. People aren't really realizing that it's because all of this stuff felt like super mid card, and it's not. It's not just Satnam Singh. I think it's the whole thing felt like like lesser than what you would expect in an AEW. It's the worst thing Jay Lethal's done, but everything else he's done has been rapturously received. Mm, yeah. I don't know why I don't admit. Yeah. Very interesting to see where they go from Chris here. Jer- Chris Jericho told us that he was It's very much like akin that. to the uh, Jericho um, Inner Circle versus American Top Team. Mm. People yeah, went yeah. wild just because I, I didn't like it very yeah. much. Didn't mean that. Judas in the buildings versus what people are feeling on Twitter, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let us know your thoughts on uh, this show and the ending of this show, especially on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... <laughs> Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... <laughs> Doom-scrolling friggin' can announcements way deep into the night at M. Sidgwick. <laughs> yeah, people can make you feel better. Buying your book. Becoming all elite, The Rise of AEW, available on Amazon right now. It's a fantastic oh, I, read. I, I know if I can give the rims a fund of myself. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCulture WWE. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including a, later on today, myself and Michael Citric looking ahead to AW Rampage and Battle of the Bills. A little bit of a bumper pod for you oh, there. God. <laughs> Very rare. What a turnaround. Yeah, like the World title match on Rampage and then Battle of the Belt with like all these like new wrestlers and new faces. Like, Jesus Christ. I hate it. puts me in the WWE zone of stuff that they don't care about. So why the fuck should I? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's check out that later on today. What cool dressing wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.